Hello and welcome to the Big Finish podcast. Hello, I'm Nick Briggs, and uh, this is an appropriate theme tune for the Big Finish podcast this time round because it's the prisoner theme. And in this podcast, I'm going to be interviewed by Sci Fi Bulletin's Paul Simpson. Yes, you may have heard of him. He writes reviews and things and has a website. And uh, I'll be calling him on Skype in a minute, and we're going to have this interview, and uh, hopefully it'll be entertaining. You'll probably have read highlights of it on his site, but here's the, the proof that the interview did take place. So let's. Um, let's just see what happens. What can I do? I just press this button here and see see if it goes. Okay. Well, that sounds like a call, doesn't it? Hello. Ah. Ah, we are there. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm all right. Hello, Paul. Hello. And that's this is me and my big microphone here. <laughs> <laughs> right. Can you hear Hello. me? All right. I can hear you absolutely fine. Well, you, you know, this okay? it's unusual that the signal's good. <laughs> so let's get on with it quick. Oh, well, thanks for the time. No problem, mate. Um, Any chance to speak about the prisoner is fine by me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I seem to recall that when we were at uh, the uh, Good Omens. That's right, when we were recording Good Omens for radio... When I was in it for Radio 4 and you came along and I was talking to you about the prison, wasn't I? Yes, it yeah. was quite early days you were talking about... Uh, it looked as if it was going to happen, I think, but you couldn't say anything. Well, you obviously couldn't say anything on the record at that stage. Oh, that's right. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe September the... last year. No, September 14. So, yeah, it would have been. Yeah, that was before the uh, the licence was signed with ITV. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, obviously, for the podcast, this is going to Big Finish listeners, but ours will be going out to people who tend to get their Big Finish information probably more through us than they do through your outlets so yes um let's assume that people haven't read the interviews see you know listen to disc five or whatever so yeah yeah, yeah rather than you know take stuff as read good point. um let's go back to the very basics what is the great attraction for the prisoner for you can you sum it up in one sentence i love it <laughs> that's not very informative though is it it's something from my teenage times that uh, just meant so much to me that I wanted to bring back to life. That's one sentence. Here's another one. Um, also, I love what it's about. You know, I love the struggle of the individual against uh, the state, uh, against secrecy, against, you know, a lack of openness. So uh, I identify w with all the aims uh, of the series. And also of technology, you know, the whole business about the struggle against technology uh, being used for the wrong purpose, to suppress people rather than to help them. Because the village, you know, it, back in the 1967 original is full of amazing technology that was, um, you know, way ahead of state-of-the-art stuff at the time. And it could have been, what a wonderful world the village could have been for the prisoner, but it was terrible, you know, it was um, achingly awful for him. But yeah, I kind of... The story I tell 
when I'm well aware that I'm well over the sentence now, <laughs> the story I tell that people may not have heard of uh, is that, you know, my father told me about it in the 60s when we used to uh, be on sailing holidays in the Solent. And every time we saw a big orange marker boy, he'd say, oh, the prisoner, because he thought orange alert meant <laughs> that the big ball was orange. And of course, he was watching it in black and white. And it wasn't until it was shown in 1977 that... Uh, I, I, a friend of mine had seen the first episode late night on uh, ITV and had told me about it. And I thought, this sounds like that thing my dad told me about nearly 10 years ago. Because <laughs> the first episode was broadcast on ITV when I was on my sixth birthday. Uh, I was too young to watch that sort of television uh, yes. program by then, but uh, at that point. Yeah, so uh, it was very special to me to find out what it was about. And I just remember being... Uh, I had, I'd heard an audio recording of it already because my friend had recorded the audio of it because that's what we used to do in those days, you know, because we didn't have video recorders. They, uh, uh, domestic video recorders didn't exist. And I remember hearing this amazing theme tune and you know, hearing the crashes of thunder. And I thought, what's going on? He said, oh, it's amazing. It tells you the whole story in the starting sequence, you know. So I was uh, truly amazed when i saw the chimes of big ben which was the second episode usually to be aired and it certainly was in 1977 so uh, uh yeah it just blew me away really the there are so many theories about the prisoner and obviously <laughs> in a unique position to implement some of your own about it but what are the absolute constraints of the format and uh, although it's obviously something you can go a long way, you look at things like Living in Harmony and the Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My Darling, whatever, that they could push it a long way. Yes. What are the constraints for you as a writer? Well, it's interesting you mentioned something like uh, Living in Harmony. It's those that, you know, the last few they did, apparently they asked for um, ideas from the crew, basically. They suddenly had to cook up some extra episodes in order to make the series up from 13 to 17 so that it could be a, a summer time between seasons filler in the States because they didn't want to take it on as a, a you know, 26 part thing in the States. Um, so they did go a bit crazy. And, of course, that's what we all remember about The Prisoner. I think in the same way that I think that there's nothing uh, you can't do on audio, I don't think there's nothing you can't do in The Prisoner as long as you find the right way of doing it, you know? Um, so, I mean, I don't think you can ever have it that uh, The Prisoner seriously escapes before the end of the series i think um i mean that was one of the american network's objections to the prisoner apparently that this guy loses every week they said apparently so i'm told by those who know uh, and of course that is what happens he has his tiny little victory doesn't he where he drives his captors up the wall by doing something crazy you know especially like something like hammer into anvil where you know drives uh, patrick cargill's character completely bonkers um but I, yeah, I mean, like, you know, if you've heard the box set, you know, in Your Beautiful Village, the new one I did, uh, you know, I, that was a crazy, crazy thing to do. But I can't, I can't honestly, I'm not about constraints, Paul. <laughs> That's an no, but some, Well, sometimes the writer battling against the constraints is what produces yeah, yeah, ideas. Yeah. It's, the, it's having, it's, it's actually the prisoner idea, isn't it? You are bouncing up against a wall. Definitely. How do I make 
how do I make that bounce into something that works better? Yeah, definitely. And th but that's my whole approach to audio because they look. I mean, like Schizoid Man, which is about you know the prisoner and his double well what a mad idea to do that on audio so i thought i'm going to drive a bus straight at that and go and, and analyze what the uh, restrictions are and then use them to the series advantage because i think it works out it's very entertaining that there are some points when you don't know which one's which whereas in the tv series you always knew which one was which in schizoid man because they wore different jackets which was the craziest thing to do but i'm sure you know that was playing it safe a bit I bet Patrick McGowan wanted them to wear exactly the same clothes. <laughs> well, you have to you have to wonder just how much McGowan influenced that early. Yeah. Series. I mean, it's quite clear as it went along that Mark Steen's influence dropped down and McGowan's went up. But um, that's certainly what I've understood from people yeah. who know more about it than me. Yeah, it seems. And the fact that it does go more and more off the wall. I mean, Mark Stein's sort of his approach was definitely that it was a it was a government place for retired spies. And the question was, which government or was it both governments or a set of you know what I mean? They were much more mm. realistic concerns, whereas Patrick McGowan was going further than that, wasn't he? He was he was falling well, into I, the world of allegory. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I, I think. To an extent, I've always thought the Monkstein's idea was that Chimes of Big Ben is that what Nadia says about the village is probably accurate. Yes, probably at that stage, that's that may well have been what they were thinking. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, they have the very unique backdrop of Port Marion, mm. which you don't have the benefit of, but you also don't not have the benefit, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, when you were reimagining the scripts, when you were reworking them, um, and then creating your own as well. Were you imagining it in Port Marion? Yes. Um, but with the liberty of being able to just say slightly different things about it. Because inevitably, I'm going to Port Marion for Easter, actually. And uh, it will be the first time I've ever been there. And I said to two You've people... You've not done a Mask of Man Dragger homage trail? No, but I'd, I know. I'm so disloyal to Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah, no, disgusting. I, I mean, they may bring Demnos back. You may need to do this. <laughs> exactly, Demnos. Um, <laughs> I, um, I was speaking to a couple of people from Six of One at the weekend who, who came to Big Finish Day 8, mm. and they were surprised that I hadn't been to Port Mary. And they told me something that I was saying at exactly the same time they were telling me, which was that it's much smaller than it appears to be on the show and almost everything location wise and set wise in television is always much smaller than it yes. looks on television that's just the way of things it's what lenses do you know it's and of course uh, so that you know i think there's i don't think the village is geographically exactly like port marion you know and so i've i took some liberties but certainly that is the image and the 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 flavor in my head when when i'm writing it absolutely yeah, why wouldn't it be? I mean, I've, you know, I've added in little descriptions that are slightly at odds with what was on television. You know, the things about plastic um, uh, windmills and um, the the uh, number two's chamber looking like the inside of a huge washing machine, which isn't exactly how it looks on television. But there, you can imagine, you know what I mean? I, I thought, well, I'm taking a few little liberties, but... Uh, well, yes, but, I mean, it's an alternate take. It's not... Yes. Well, you're not, I assume, trying to actually say this is the television version. No, of course not, no. I mean, that's why, um, you know, I've got a different theme tune for a start. 
because now, I, does, I, that, does that work the way I think it does? Could you play the two together and they fit? Not because, at all, no. Oh, they damn, are, I was they just are. thinking there's, there's enough in there that it's almost like... No, they are different underneath. tunes. They're really different tunes. Um, and uh, But it's like they're played by the same band. And they're similar pieces of music. But I deliberately did that because in many ways I would have loved to have just done, had the original theme because, you know, it's the prison and everything. Oh. But then that would be like trying to say, well, this episode happens after Schizoid Man and fitting it in. And that's crazy because it's not Patrick McGowan playing the part. Mm. And I, I, I wanted it to be an alternative vision that had many similarities with the original and certainly didn't well it doesn't negate the original i'm you know, listen I, to be honest i'm it's very difficult for me to justify exactly why i've done it i've done it out of love and i knew i desperately wanted to do it and when i we first announced it there were a lot of people saying well what's the point of this and i thought well i agree with you if i were you i'd be looking at it thinking well, what are you what are you doing this for the prisoner is a finite beautiful thing i just knew i wanted to do it and i was lucky enough to get the opportunity a by bludgeoning my co-exec and owner of the company at jason hegelery into just agreeing with that look in my face i like, please let me do this otherwise i'll cry uh, and uh, and also getting itv to agree as well you know in the, in the sort of aftermath of them telling me that we couldn't do thunderbirds and they sort of saw how upset i was <laughs> and took pity on me and said is there anything else and i said well how about the prison i've been mentioning that for the last five or six years and they went oh yeah yeah well, yeah why not yeah yeah and then we quickly moved to you know an agreement i was just lucky that it happened and what i'm really uh, without sounding in it overly groveling to my audience <laughs> what i'm really pleased about is that once people have heard it they've kind of yeah. got it and they've gone oh that's why you've done it. oh yeah this is this is okay you're not trying to usurp the original you just love the original and you're sort of celebrating it and having fun kind of doing it again but not quite the same it's a shame isn't it i mean i would never get this past any major um you know for broadcast on television because i, I can't encapsulate it there's just a gut feeling about it and i'm really pleased that people who love the prisoner as much as me and probably know more about it than me seem to love it as much you know the people from six of one were telling me a lot of reasons why it was good which is you know do they realize they're just pouring uh, paraffin on the fire <laughs> telling me things mm. like that but it was really lovely of them and um yeah i'm, I'm a slight a slight loss to explain exactly why or what but I'm, I'm really really i'm relieved that it's worked i knew it had worked the moment we were in the studio doing it and then and then fighting through the production the post-production stage as well i mean i do pity ian meadows and jamie uh, robertson who did the uh, uh, sound design and music respectively jamie robertson did a bit of the sound design but mostly just the music because i did you know i was quite uh, i was much more precise than i am about a doctor who thing because we've already got the doctor who uh, feel and they all know how to do that but i was really i think i might have made their lives a bit miserable but they tell me that they were inspired by my enthusiasm but i suppose they would say that <laughs> well they want the check next week <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well i hope to get now, them <laughs> I, I, I hope to get them both back for the next series that will that would be the time when they say no never again can't work with you again <laughs> just went on and on i mean poor ian you know when he was first doing the trailer for me he'd never done trailers the way i like them and i kept eventually i just took it off him and said look i'll take what you've done and i'll re-edit it and i kept going like this like this and that's the trouble when you're a sound designer and you're working with a director who's also a sound designer you know because i keep saying that no like this but bless him no it's great fun 
the I'll word, shut up. Ask me another question. Yeah, the word bloody do it yourself can we resist? Well, exactly. And then I was like, well, I haven't got enough time because I'm also writing the war doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yes, bringing Lou in on that, which was I was pleased to hear. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was David Richardson's idea, and I thought, well, it makes sense, doesn't it? Oh. Well, a, because she's brilliant. Who would be in everything if David was doing well, it? Well, exactly, yes. <laughs> I've, I've got no problem with that. <laughs> um, the casting. The mm. Mark's performance is incredible. Oh, uh, thanks. It's very, very good. It's It hits all the points that it needs to and shows signs... Sorry, so... It's very, very good, but shows sides to the prisoner. Mm. Um, that perhaps we didn't see as much in the um, in the original series. Mm. Yeah, very good point. Um, there are times when it sounds very like McGowan. Mm. Mm. Was that a conscious note from you as director? That's part one. But part two, in your script, yes, your beautiful village. Mm-hmm. He's much less McGowan. Yeah, yeah. He's much Were more vulnerable, isn't he? Were those conscious choices on your part as director or dis- through discussion with him or how did that come about? Well, this is how it went. There was no point during the recordings when I said to him, oh, this needs to sound more like McGowan or this needs to sound less like McGowan. As Mark will tell you if you get to speak to him one day, he uh, uh, very early on when we had our first meeting, uh, and I can go back over how and why he was cast in a minute, but uh, at our first meeting about this, I... He said, um, what do you want? Do you want uh, me to do a Magoon voice or do you want me to do com- something completely different? I said, well, I don't want you to do an impersonation. And he said, well, that's good because I'm not a mimic. Um, he said, but I can probably, you know, get something of that quality in it. And I said, well, let's play around with that. I mean, I said the intentions of the character will be the same. And, you know, I say this and he doesn't accept it, that his voice is not entirely dissimilar to Patrick McGoohan's. If you put if you put people in voice type brackets, you know, they would be within the same broad bracket of attack. And and, you know, although Mark is a is a brilliant actor who can do lots of different accents and things that I'm sure Patrick McGoohan could do, do as well. But we're talking about that sort of essential personality in his voice so i said uh, you know so when you read it you'll see it's got that kind of attack to it so i don't want it to sound entirely dissimilar to patrick mcgoohan and then i just had a little panicky moment when i was just when i'd sent over the scripts to him i said I, you know when i was writing it i really was imagining patrick mcgoohan doing it all of it all the episodes and uh, i said so you know, I don't want you to be tempted to do something very, very different from Patrick McGowan. Uh, Mark says that I said maybe a little, not a slavish impersonation, but a little more of a feel of McGowan in it than perhaps you were thinking, you know. So that's what he did. And um, he came to the studio uh, prepared to a quite astonishing degree that uh, I have never witnessed before. Uh, and he virtually knew it he was pacing up and down outside saying it to himself without looking at the script I thought he's learnt it (laughs) he hadn't quite learnt it but his familiarity with the script was so strong that I think that were the script to go out of focus for a moment he could carry on without referring to it you know what I mean he really he really knew it well Um, so 
I think that's it, really. I didn't, uh, I didn't, con- and, and I assured it the moment I heard what he was doing. I go a lot on instinct, you see, Paul. Uh, I, I knew it was right. I knew it was the right balance. The thing about McGowan's performance, and people seem to have slightly different views on it. I've had some reviewers say, oh, you know, he seems much more aggressive than McGowan, and others say he's less aggressive. Now, the thing is, and I'll go to a comment that Mark made uh, when he went back and rewatched the series, and he'd watched it many times before. He said, my goodness, you know, he doesn't give a fiddler's bleep about what the audience think. He's totally uncompromising. And in McGowan's vocal performance, my opinion is that there, there is very little let-up of the aggression. And you only got the any any tiny grain of warmth that he had on offer that he mostly kept covered was in his face. Every now and again, his facial expression would give that humanity away. But vocally, he was totally hard. And of course, I knew that uh, on audio, we've only got vocal. So I gave him those little grains of softer humanity in some of the lines you know that weren't in the original i had to do that vocally because i i think it's very different when someone is very on screen where they're very determined and they're very hard and you're watching them and they become visually fascinating on audio to have the same vocal tone the whole time i think would be a little wearing for many people and so i wanted to give it just uh, i wanted to bring that the visual aspects of his performance into the audio uh, version really that's my thinking but i didn't and i suppose inevitably uh, your beautiful village is less like what mcgoon did because a he's doing things that he didn't do in the series because it's an entirely new episode and b i brought him to the point of collapse far further than well yeah further than he ever been in the tv series i mean i know in once upon a time would ever allow himself to be yes yeah maybe that I mean, you know, I have, you know, I have him kissing people and I wanted to say right from the word go when he meets Janet in an early scene and he kisses her and I could almost hear, you know, hundreds of prisoner van fans, you know, prisoner vans. What are they like? Mini Mokes, probably uh, <laughs> <laughs> prisoner fans kind of going, no, you can't. Patrick McGowan never kissed anyone. But that was Patrick McGowan's little thing that he didn't ever want to kiss anyone on screen. Mm. Um but you know, so it's Paul McGann and Daphne Ashbrook all over again. <laughs> is that what it is? <laughs> I just thought uh, he's a secret agent, you know, in the cut in the James Bond mode, I suppose. And also, you know, some people have moaned about him threatening to break people's arms all the time. But I just thought, you know, he's a guy whose job is uh, it's that feel you get when Daniel Craig walks into the room as James Bond in any film, any James Bond film. You always always feel sorry for the other guy because, you know, that he if they're not on his side, he is probably going to kill them quite brutally quite soon. And I, th- I wanted some of that aspect in number six, that he was a really he's a trained assassin. Uh, and I know there's debate within the prisoner world of whether he actually was a spy or not, because it was never r- categorically said. But, you know, that's my assumption for this series, that he is an agent. And uh, so I want, you know, when he's in a situation like the village where he doesn't know what's going on, he w- immediately wants to force people to tell him what's going on. 
you know, when the cheery man walks past and says, oh, hello, oh, I don't know. And he's like, right, you know, he grabs him, wants to hurt him in order to make him speak, even with the taxi driver lady, you know, how about if I break your arm? She suggests that he's dangerous and he just plays along with it, you know, yes, I'm a dangerous man, I'll break your bloody arm now, tell me, you know. Um, that's a little criticism that's popped up, so I'm being a bit defensive about that, but, you know, that that's <laughs> what I wanted. <laughs> no, I, the... It's interesting to say, because you're actually coming back to where we did start from as your own theories on the prisoner. Hmm. Um, and one of the things that I liked about, particularly liked about Departure and Arrival, was the setup, apart from hearing Barney doing various voices in the background. <laughs> well, you know Barnaby Edwards. You know his voice. Um, but yes, it was the fact that you established something of who this man was before we saw him out of context. Um, but then also by altering the order and having Chimes of Big Ben at the end, that set has a completeness to it that presumably was a deliberate, if you didn't get to go again, at least you had yeah, yeah, the, well, symmetry in it. A bit, yeah. He goes back, he well, allegedly goes back to London. <laughs> no spoilers, please. Uh, <laughs> you know, so, uh, well, no, but, you know, if anyone's seen The Prisoner, they'll know. Yes, I suppose so. I thought I wanted to round it off with... And there was a, you know, a real possibility that there would only be one box set. Mm. A real possibility. It was only really, you know, a week or so ago that we made the decision. Uh, because thankfully people bought the first one, as it is now. I mean, we called it Volume 1 in an act of uh, faith. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, but you're absolutely right. It, well, it rounded off. And also because that's my, you know, favourite episode... Uh, of the original that I uh, I thought wouldn't it be nice to round it up with that you know your favourite because that was the first one you saw exactly for that reason also because Leo McKern is amazing and is the ultimate number two really isn't he yes um, and obviously a similar story but a very different performance from Michael Cochrane yes although you know I, I wrote it with a, a kind of Leo McKern I think I write all the number twos as Leo McKern actually, and it's just up to the <laughs> it's just up to the individual actor to either do it like that or do it their own way. And I, what I really liked about Michael's performance is that he really did it uh, the Leo McKern way, but he didn't know that's what he was doing because he just followed everything I put in the script. That's why I particularly love Michael. He's one of those actors who reads every little bit of stage direction, every little bit of thing. When I say he chuckles or he laughs outrageously, the laughter gets out of control and becomes difficult to listen to. All those things. He did all those. Of course, mm. it sounded nothing like Leo McKern. It was just, you know, in that same bracket, those same intentions. But uh, he was a bit more vicious, I thought. And also Michael got it into his head because he was very charming about Nadia, uh, that he was a bit of a perv as well. <laughs> that was entirely that was entirely Michael's invention. Oh, yes, there's certainly a bit of the hello, little girl. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I didn't write it like that at all, but he does say, oh, my dear, and she's so attractive. What a beauty and all that kind of stuff. I didn't, I didn't actually write it with that intention, but it adds an uh, well, I think extra the, layer of ugh the to it. It lends itself to that interpretation. Oh, I see. Oh, well, th and then, um, yes, because Leo McKern in the original, that character as written there does seem uh, slightly preoccupied with, oh, not interfering with them getting up to no goods sort of thing. But yeah, I suppose I, I might have gone a bit further with that, Paul. I don't know what came over me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to bring back any of your 
first crop of number twos apart from the one who um meets an unfortunate end yeah I oh, loved oh, that. that was a i did do you know what that scene reminded me of have you seen dark star I, oh the, yes, yes where the beach ball comes out and just rolls over him <laughs> and it was just instantly i was listening i just take the dog for a walk and was listening to that as i was bathing them after their walk and i just had that dark star picture in my mind just uh, instantly. yeah yes yes i hadn't thought of that but uh, i thought uh, it suddenly seemed i don't know they they didn't ever kill off a number two did they there was the implication in a couple of especially in a b and c where he keeps looking at the phone ominously you know thinking oh i'm for it now um, but early on there were, but early on i always had the feeling and you may well disagree that at least in the, that first batch of 13 there was a number one well that that's and certainly the ones there certainly isn't yeah that that's what they're hinting at isn't that yeah is aren't they i mean yes yes uh yeah well, somebody i mean even in yours somebody gives the order to operations control to um deal with the offending culprit oh well yeah well they get a call but whatever number one that may or may not be you know uh one presumes he, he she it they might have emissaries mm. but yeah yes you're absolutely right though yeah he 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 gets it in the neck because the order is given by some higher power yeah yeah the although ramon thinks he said well anything can happen in the prisoner i, I could probably come back but that's what everyone says in doctor who as well with and perhaps more justification um yes we'll talk about mark's um casting oh right yes um i was very uh it was a gargantuan thing to do to recast uh the prisoner because i mean you know that was the main comment people were making when we said we were going to do it but i was sort of i was confident i could find someone but then setting about the task i suddenly realized that casting is my least favorite thing and when i do the doctor who's i often i get as many other people to help me with it as possible and it's usually david richardson <laughs> and he's usually full of loads of suggestions um so i did have a number of conversations and a number of meetings and uh a number of ideas um but i kept thinking to myself i'm missing a trick then i had that feeling and it's not rational i had that feeling that there was a solution staring me in the face that i just wasn't seeing and i said to myself and I, I think i said it to my wife actually there must be someone i know who loves the prisoner and would be brilliant i'm sure i must have because i i realized through um suggestions and meetings that uh, I mean, there was one particular actor I saw who I was really keen on doing it. He wasn't a, a, a huge name, although he had a you know fantastic CV and had done many, many things. And people would have gone, oh, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he would have been brilliant uh, in his own way, but he just didn't have the enthusiasm for the prisoner. You know, and I thought, I don't know that I may be working on this for the next four years. Uh, and I... I don't want someone who's a bit too cool for school about the the show. I want someone for whom this is a dream job, you know? It's lovely to work with people who are enthusiastic and who you don't have to you don't feel like you're forcing them to do it. And so uh 
I don't know. I don't remember how the idea came into my head. But, you know, 20 years ago, I had done a tour of Brideshead Revisited where I'd met this actor, Mark Elstop, and I, and we weren't great friends, but we always chatted um, because we both were Doctor Who fans. So that was always our point of contact. So we were good acquaintances for the, the whole of this, I don't know, six-month tour, which, you know, feels a bit like a life sentence, especially when... Uh, uh, production is as poorly reviewed as Brideshead Revisited the Charles Vance tour was. We had a fantastic review from The Telegraph that I still keep. I've got, oh, I've got it somewhere. I know Mark keeps it where it's just the last line is the show is a disgrace, you know. <laughs> it was a terrible production. There were so many bad decisions made in the making of it. But great performances from some people. And one of the great performances was um, Mark Elstob as Charles Ryder. And so I thought, you know, I can... But it was 20 years ago. So I contacted his agent and she said, no, he's busy. And I told me where he was busy. And I thought, mm, I've got a feeling that he might be interested. So I sneakily contacted the theatre he was working at in Vienna and said, look, I've just contacted your agent. She says you're busy, but I just wanted to let you know. Turned out she hadn't told him. Mm. Um, she was going to tell him later, I'm sure, when he got back from Vienna. Uh, and he... Uh, um, that but, sounds so like a drop-in for an allegedly, for legal reasons. <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliantly done. You were a career on how I got this. Thank you. Um, but, but her diary for him was full because he was going straight from Vienna to Pitlockery to do some rep up there. Um, and Mark eventually got back to me and she hadn't told him because I'd said I'd like him to play number six. She'd said, she'd mentioned the prisoner and he said, oh, well, I, you know, I, he imagined that I'd want him to play the taxi driver or the shopkeeper or something, you know. And uh, so he said, oh, I'm really sorry I'm not available, and blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, it's a shame because you would have made a brilliant number six. And then the next email was there was almost a bit sort of uh, what? Uh, oh, number six, you say? Hold on. Well, I can probably get back from Scotland on the night train on Sundays, and which is what he did mostly. You know, he said I'm not in all the performances and productions, uh, and you know, he immediately had the uh, the commitment that you know, uh, he he confirmed my suspicion that he was a massive prisoner fan and revealed to me that when we knew each other all those years ago he was in fact reading the prisoner program guide and accidentally left it in wolverhampton under the bed in his digs <laughs> and that was one of the main things he remembers that, about that tour i mean i had bumped into him a year or so ago late night on a train he was going back from a performance i'd been out to dinner or something and we sort of recognized each other uh you know it's 20 years it's mm. a bit of a uh, so and he gave me his phone number he says he made a shameless pitch for work and and as expected I didn't get back to him because <laughs> the funny thing is I was searched around for his email address and couldn't find it when I finally got his email address and typed it in it came up on my system that I, I already had it and I thought oh uh, so um, so it was thrilling for me and I just had a little meeting with him just to make sure I didn't want him to audition because I already knew he was brilliant uh, just to make sure that how does one phrase it he's, that he still got it <laughs> you know i wanted someone who looked right as well for the publicity and he's still a handsome chap you know who looks great as a leading man looks nothing like patrick mcgoon but he's got a look about him where you i knew that well i looked at him and thought yeah i i could believe that he's number six it works for me he'll look good on the cover mm. and and he is a triumph isn't he he's just you know 
a, a really brilliant actor who loves the role and is you know obviously i checked with him that he wanted to do more <laughs> you know and he made it quite clear that it was you know a pointless question of course he wanted to he did i didn't have to ask you know so yeah it's, that's that's it i mean it occurred to me that were i to have cast someone very famous they would have been the problem of a star persona getting in the way of the character however unfair that is but i think it's i think we can discriminate against famous people from time to time because they seem to get all the work these days uh, I think that the thing that concerned me i must admit from when it was announced or from our discussion and then from when it was announced hmm. was that it would be part of the, it would be somebody from the big finish repertoire or repertory company and i love don't get me wrong i love hearing the familiar voices hmm. and it's you know there are, but there are certain voices that now come with so much baggage from big finish productions particularly people who've gone across a number of series yeah yeah, yeah. that this needed to stand alone it it isn't a world of big finish uh, absolutely yeah yeah I, I wanted it to do that i don't think i considered giving it to any of our regulars or, or any of our regular rep members mm. <laughs> as you might almost say but you know i was worried that uh, a famous person would be always be filming a movie or a tv series and certainly one of them who was uh, whose agent immediately said that would be brilliant for him and i know that he'd really be interested in doing it can you change your entire schedule though <laughs> because he's filming this in x country for this number of months and i thought yeah he's always going to be doing that isn't he he's always going to be somewhere in the sun filming some enormous film or series and he's got enough work let's let's give the job to someone and then the irony was that mark was completely busy for almost the whole of the year and luckily you know he was prepared to do this mad dash every saturday night uh for four or three out of the four recordings where yeah he came on the sleeper and just got to us in time and then went straight back to rehearse the next morning you know so you had it ha he had to love the prisoner in order to yes. make that effort didn't he yeah so just looking ahead briefly yes um set two obviously you are moving ahead with um mix as with one yes almost exactly the same mix but possibly in a different order not necessarily with the the new I, i'm going to do my plan is to do one new one and and four and uh, three adaptations my maths failed me there uh, i um uh. but i mean i say this tentatively because i i haven't yet written all the synopses and sent them to itv and they may raise some concerns and i might have to change my plans and we'd have a conversation about that but hopefully not they they seem to be i'm having a fantastic time working with them actually because they're very um i'm not just saying this for pr reasons they're, they're very uh, uh nice and um enthusiastic about what i'm doing and i definitely get that that vibe from them that they are thinking oh well, this is good oh thank you very much you know what i mean rather than oh, hold on let me scrutinize every semicolon you mm. know uh, they tell me <laughs> the thing they were particularly pleased about my initial proposal document is that the spelling and grammar was very good they said <laughs> I love that though. Yeah, they said, well, one of the things we like to do in the office is sit around and read these proposals and things and go, oh my goodness, look at this, you know. And, but uh, they said they they didn't have that delight with me. They just read it and thought, oh, he's written this really well. <laughs> but I've never had a proposal uh, accepted on the grounds that my spelling and grammar was good. Because <laughs> I don't <laughs> think my a bit more to it. Yeah, <laughs> my spelling and grammar isn't that good. I just check it and rewrite it. 
Well, that's the main thing. Yeah, um, we all do, Paul, isn't it? I bet that's what you do. Sorry, what? You always check your spelling. I'm always checking um, the spelling. I, I, I find I the older know. I get, the less uh, I forget how to spell things. You know, oh. and I think I, I used to know how to spell that word. Why don't I know anymore? Also, also correct and auto and little red lines underneath stuff are very, very useful. Oh yeah, autocorrect worries me because you can get some very strange <laughs> results with that. But anyway, well, there is that. Yes, yeah. but yes, little red lines underneath something. I, I'm very proud of those. Yeah, they're very useful. Um, living in harmony, would that stay as a Western? I, must, I had the lo- I had a lunatic idea with it. But I, I, I'm not at this stage planning to do it. But I love the I just, idea of a challenge, and it, I think it'd be almost impossible to do on audio. But find a way around it. Well, throw this one at you and mm. living on harmony, and take it and just do a different genre. Do the genre that Big Finish do best. Do a space opera. Put him in oh. that. A couple of people have suggested Jackie, to me the Jackie idea. Pierce, him, number six in that. Yeah, of him waking up in a space capsule. Someone said to oh, me. Yeah. yeah. That wasn't like you, that. was it? Someone said he wakes up in a space capsule. I thought, that's quite fun. You know, like a 1960s-style space capsule. Mm. Mm, interesting. But just, just, taking the idea, just taking the idea of living in harmony and doing something different with it. That Yeah. Nick, thanks very much. Thank you. It's, um, I, have you written your review yet? No, Alistair's done his. Right. Now, what he's said, um, and obviously I'm now quoting just from his comment, was, as a non-prisoner... Um, watch, he didn't know anything about it. He found the first episode a bit hard going. It felt like a pilot episode with so much having to be set up. But from Schizoid Man onwards, it really flew. Oh, that's now, he's nice. supposed to be sending it through later on this afternoon or tomorrow morning, but I will forward it to you before it goes up anyway. Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, but I Are will... there some quotable bits in it? I don't know. As I say, I haven't read it yet. That's so. when I used to be a reviewer. I always used to write reviews where I thought, if I like this, I'm going to say something nice that they can put on the poster. Mm. But that's you don't like to do that, do you, Paul? Uh, I like to write. I don't. Yes, I write the review of the piece. I don't write it to do that. Tell you I, because yeah, you'd, you'd probably no, get I, more I, notoriety I, if you did it I'll, like that, though. Yeah, but I'll tell you something. I yeah. got burnt by your bloody predecessor on that Did I? and i reviewed the sirens of time and i put something about the excellent soundscape and gary just it just took the word excellent and put excellent Dreamwatch on it for the review of the whole thing and what you're saying is you didn't think it was excellent that's not what you're saying i think it was a very strong start but it was <laughs> what it became no come on go back to sirens of time you tell me that that's that's where things are now <laughs> Of course not. Things change. Oh. <laughs> Don't expect me to agree with a bad review of my work. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I mean, no, I wouldn't say it was a bad review. Um, the oh, I'll tell you one thing that did go. And this is up to you whether you, you wanted to use this or not. The your own script, the prisoner, rang bells for me. The McGann. Do you did you write that McGann story where they're on the space station where they're blind? yes embrace the darkness that's it yeah i don't think of the title but yeah yeah it, it just reminded me of that a lot. there are certain elements of it that are true that were the not being able to see thing except in embrace the darkness they didn't have any eyes yeah i can remember what the, i can remember it was what a bit the, harsh yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the, yes absolutely so what's the there big thing no, about darkness for you <laughs> it's come well, on, psychologically you re- reveal yourself <laughs> well i think everyone's fr- afraid of the dark yeah. um 
but also putting your characters in darkness puts them in the same position as the audience because the audience can't see the characters on audio mm. and so suddenly uh the 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 audio characters can't see the characters either so there and the other thing is it gives them a very very good reason for describing stuff without it being spurious you know what i mean mm. that those all those things i wanted to do the archetypal audio episode that only would work on audio i mean that episode would not work visually no. uh not without you know changing it significantly and likewise you know all the visual episodes of the prisoner don't work on audio as they are even though that's you know after i watched them i recorded them on audio and so i'm very familiar with their soundtracks um but we're of that generation, though. But we're of the generation that li recorded all of that stuff off television and are used to recreating it in our minds from it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, but yeah, as as I said at the beginning of all this, uh, that I um, this little chat we're having, um, that uh, you know, I really believe there are no limits to what you can do on audio. You just have to find a way. Sometimes it's difficult, and sometimes perhaps. It's not the ideal thing to do, but it's always possible in some way or another. And that, that's what I find thrilling, really. Yeah, that's why I love audio so much and haven't sort of been pining after a TV career. You know, I, I am really happy with creating stuff on audio. Hmm. Strange, isn't it? <laughs> that's a good line to finish on. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Thanks ever yeah. so much. You're very welcome. Bye Take bye. Care. Bye. Bye. Well, there he goes, and there we go. That was Paul Simpson interviewing me for SF Bulletin. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder what his review would be like. Never mind, who cares? <laughs> Bye for now. speed limits and get himself into trouble. He's going to get himself killed one day, you know. Where am I? In the village. In the village. Désirez-vous un taxi, monsieur? Take me away from here. Where to? As far as you can go. I heard this was your first day. And my last. Why'd you say that, number six? Don't call me that. It's just the number of a house I woke up in. Nothing, number six. Philo. I don't know who you are. I don't know who you work for. And I don't care. Open that door or I'll break it down. There's no need for all this nonsense. All we want to know is why you resign. want any unhappiness in our beautiful village and if number six behaved aggressively towards you what's your real name what's yours you see we're both scared to talk i love you this place is a madhouse a bloody nightmare yes get out of here yes we must or they'll kill us worse worse orange alert orange alert